Vishnupad Paramhamsa Parivraja Kacharja Ashtotata Shata Shishimad Asi Bhaktivaranta Swami Srila Prabhupada Ki Anantakota Vaishnavrinda Ki All glories to assembled devotees All glories to assembled devotees All glories to assembled devotees All glories, all glories to Shishiguru and Gauranga All glories to Srila Prabhupada Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om 
I was born in the darkest ignorance, and my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torch of knowledge. I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. Shri Chaitanya Manovistam Stapitam Jena Bhutale Swayam Rupa Kadamayam Tadatit Swapadantikam. When will Srila Rupa Goswami Prabhupada, who has established within this material world the mission to fulfill the desire of Lord Chaitanya, give me shelter under his lotus feet? Vancha kalpa tarubhyascha kripa sindhubhyavacha patitanam pavanebhyo vaishnavebhyo namo namaha. I offer my respectful obeisances unto the Vaishnav devotees of the Lord. They are just like desire trees and can fulfill the desires of everyone, and they are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shri Vasadi Gaurabhaktarinda I offer my respectful obeisances unto Shri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Lord Nityananda, Shri Advaita Gadadhar Pandit, Shri Vastakur, and all the devotees of Lord Chaitanya. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. I pray that Shishi Radha Kalajanji, Srila Prabhupada, and Srila Gurudev use me as an instrument so that their message can flow through me to give me the words to serve the Vaishnavas listening. So today we are reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 1, Creation, Chapter 11, Lord Krishna's Entrance into Dwarka, Text. Uh, text 16 and 17. And today is Tuesday, November 16th, 2021. Nishamya Ramas Chadbhuta Vikrama Nisham Prastamayantam Vasudevo Mahamana Akrurasko Gresanascha Ramas Chad Bhutta Vikramaha Nishamya Vaiprashtamayantam Vasudevo Mahamanaha Akuras Kogreshayanascha Ramas Chad Bhutta Vikramaha Vaishnavis Nishaimya prestemayantam Vasudeva manamanaha Akuras kogreshanascha Ramas chadbutavikrama So there's another ta- verse, I'm just going to say it since it's not written up here. Radumnas charu desnascha sambo jambavati suta praharsha vedgo chasita 
Nishamya, just hearing. Restam, the dearmost. Ayantam, coming home. Vasudeva, Vasudev, the father of Krishna. Mahamana, the magnanimous. Akrura, Akrura. Ja, and Ugrasena, Ugrasena. Ja, and Rama, Balram, the elder brother of Krishna. Ja, and Adbuta, superhuman. Vikrama, prowess. Pradumna, Pradumna, Charudeshna, Charudeshna, Cha, and Samba, Samba, Jambavati Sutta, the son of Jambavati, Raharsha, extreme happiness, Vega, force, Uchasita, being influenced by Dayana, lying down, Asana, sitting on, Bojana, dining. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada. On hearing that the most dear Krishna was approaching Dwarkadam, magnanimous Vasudev, Akrura, Ugrasena, Balaram, the superhumanly powerful, Pradumna, Charudeshna, and Samba, the son of Jambavati, all extremely happy, abandoned, resting, sitting, and dining. Report. Vasudeva, son of King Surashena, husband of Devaki, and father of Lord Sri Krishna. He is the brother of Kunti and father of Subhadra. Subhadra was married with her cousin Arjuna, and this system is still prevalent in some parts of India. Vasudeva was appointed minister of Ugrasena, and later on he married eight daughters of Ugrasena's brother, Devaka. Devaki is only one of them. Kamsa was his brother-in-law, and Vasudeva accepted voluntary imprisonment by Kamsa on mutual agreement to deliver the eighth son of Devaki. This was foiled by the will of Krishna. As maternal uncle of the Pandavas, he took active parts in the purificatory process of the Pandavas. He sent for the priest, Kashyap, and at Satarshringa Parvata, and he executed the functions. When Krishna appeared within the bars of Kamsa's prison house, he was transferred by Vasudev to the house of Nandamaraj, the foster father of Krishna, at Gokula. Krishna disappeared along with Baladev prior to the disappearance of Vasudev and Arjuna, Vasudeva's nephew, undertook the charge of the funeral ceremony after Vasudeva's disappearance. Akrura, the commander-in-chief of the Vrishni dynasty and a great devotee of Lord Krishna, Akrura attained success in devotional service to the Lord by the one single process of offering prayers. He was the husband of Sutani, daughter of Ahuka. He supported Arjuna when Arjuna took Subhadra forcibly away by the will of Krishna. Both Krishna and Akrura went to see Arjuna after his successful kidnapping of Subhadra. 
Both of them presented dowries to Arjuna after this incident. Akura was present also when Abhimanyu, the son of Subhadra, was married with Uttara, mother of Parikshit Maharaj. Ahuka, the father-in-law of Akura, was not on good terms with Akura, but both of them were devotees of the Lord. Ugarsena, one of the powerful kings of the Vrishni dynasty and cousin of Maharaj Kunti Boja. His other name is Ahuka. His minister was Vasudev, and his son was the powerful Kamsa. This Kamsa imprisoned his father and became the king of Mathura. By the grace of Lord Krishna and his brother, Lord Baladev, Kamsa was killed and Ugrasena was reinstalled on the throne. When Salva attacked the city of Dwarka, Ugrasena fought very valiantly and repulsed the enemy. Ugrasena inquired from Naradaji about the divinity of Lord Krishna. When the Yadu dynasty was to be vanquished, Ugrasena was entrusted with the iron lump produced from the womb of Samba. He cut the iron lump into pieces and then pasted it and mixed it up with the sea water on the coast of Dwarka. After this, he ordered complete prohibition within the city of Dwarka and the kingdom. He got salvation after his death. Baladev. He's the divine son of Vasudev by his wife Rohini. He is also known as Rohini Nandana, beloved son of Rohini. He was also entrusted to Nanda Maharaj along with his mother Rohini when Vasudev embraced imprisonment by mutual agreement with Kamsa. So Nanda Maharaj is also the foster father of Baladev along with Lord Krishna. Lord Krishna and Lord Baladev were constant companions from their childhood, although they were stepbrothers. Well, actually, in today's term, they would be half-brothers. He is the plenary manifestation of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and therefore he is as good and powerful as Lord Krishna. He belongs to the Vishnu Tattva, the principle of Godhead. He attended the Swayamvara ceremony of Draupadi along with Sri Krishna. When Subhadra was kidnapped by Arjuna by the organized plan of Sri Krishna, Baladev was very angry with Arjuna and wanted to kill him at once. Sri Krishna, for the sake of his dear friend, fell at the feet of Lord Baladev and implored him not to be so angry. Sri Baladev was thus satisfied. Similarly, he was once very angry with the Kauravas, and he wanted to throw their whole city into the depths of the Yamuna. But the Kauravas satisfied him by surrendering unto his divine lotus feet. He was actually the seventh son of Devaki prior to the birth of Lord Krishna, but by the will of the Lord, he was transferred to the womb of Rohini to escape the wrath of Kamsa. His other name is therefore Sankarshan, who is also the plenary portion of Sri Baladev. Because he is as powerful as Lord Krishna and can bestow spiritual power to the devotees, he is therefore known as Baladev. In the Vedas, also, it is enjoined that no one can know the Supreme Lord without being favored by Baladev. Bala means spiritual strength, not physical. Some less intelligent persons interpret Bala as the strength of the body, but no one can have spiritual realization by physical strength. Physical strength ends with the physical body, with the end of the physical body, but spiritual strength follows the spirit soul to the next transmigration. And therefore, the strength obtained by Baladev is never wasted. The strength is eternal, and thus Baladev is the original spiritual master of all devotees. Sri Baladev was also a class friend of Lord Sri Krishna as a student of Sandipani Muni. 
In his childhood, he killed many asuras along with Sri Krishna. And specifically, he killed with the Denukasara at Talavan. During the Kurukshetra battle, he remained neutral, and he tried his best not to bring about the fight. He was in favor of Duryodhan, but he still remained neutral. When there was a club fight between Duryodhan and Bhimasena, he was present on the spot. He was angry at Bhimasena when the latter struck Duryodhan on the thigh or below the belt, and he wanted to retaliate the unfair action. Lord Sri Krishna saved Bhima from his wrath, but he left the the place at once, being disgusted at Bhimasena. And after his departure, Duryodhan fell to the ground to meet his death. The funeral ceremony of Abhimanyu, the son of Arjuna, was performed by him, as he was the maternal uncle. It was impossible to be performed by any of the Pandavas who were all overwhelmed with grief. At the last stage, he departed from this world by producing a great white snake from his mouth, and thus he was carried by Sheshanag in the shape of a serpent. Pradumna, incarnation of Kamadev, or, according to others, incarnation of Sanat Kumar, born as the son of the personality of Godhead. Lord Sri Krishna and Lakshmi Devi, Srimati Rukmini, the principal queen at Dwarka. He was one of those who went to congratulate Arjuna upon his marrying Subhadra. He was one of the great generals who fought with Salva, and while fighting with him, he became unconscious on the battlefield. His charioteer brought him back to the camp from the battlefield, and for this action he was very sorry and rebuked his charioteer. However, he fought again with Salva and was victorious. He heard all about the different demigods from Naradaji. He is one of the four plenary expansions of Lord Sri Krishna. He's the third one. He inquired from his father, Sri Krishna, about the glories of the Brahmanas. During the fratricidal war amongst the descendants of Yadu, he died at the hand of Boja, another king of the Vrishnis. After his death, he was installed in his original position. Sarudeshna, another son of Lord Sri Krishna and Rukmini Devi. He was also present during the Swamvyada ceremony of Draupadi. He was a great warrior like his brothers and father. He fought with Vivindaka and killed him in the fight. Samba, one of the great heroes of the Yadu dynasty and the son of Lord Sri Krishna by his wife Jambavati. He learned the military art of throwing arrows from Arjuna, and he became a member of parliament during the time of Maharaj Yudhisthira. He was present during the Rajasuya Yagna of Maharaj Yudhisthira. When all the Vrishnis were assembled during the time of Prabhasha Yagna, his glorious activities were narrated by Satyaka, Satyaki before Lord Baladev. He was also present along with his father, Lord Sri Krishna, during the Aswamedha Yagna performed by Yudhisthira. He was presented before some rishis, falsely dressed as a pregnant woman by his brothers, and in fun he asked the rishis what he was going to deliver. Rishis replied that he would deliver a lump of iron, which would be the cause of fratricidal war in the family of the Yadu. The next day in the morning, Sama delivered a large lump of iron, which was entrusted to Ugrasena for necessary action. Actually, later on, there was the foretold fratricidal war, and Samba died in that war. So all these sons of Lord Krishna left their respective palaces and leaving aside all engagements, including lying down, sitting, and dining, hastened toward their exalted father. It's a very long purport. So, 
So it's really interesting to hear about all the characters in Krishna's life, right? His part of his entourage, his family, his sons, his um, uncles, his father, um, even his grandfather. So it's a very interesting concept to think God has a family. But we can see that God is a person and he likes to have relationships. We talked about relationships before. And, you know, we often think about the relationships with the gopis and the gopas and Yashoda and Nandamaraj, but Krishna also has this other extended family. And we also think very, you know, fondly of Baladev. We often talk about Krishna and Baladev together. The Prabhupada makes a big, strong point about Baladev, you know, means strength. Bala means strength. Or Balaram, and, you know, so it's another way, two ways of saying his name, Baladev or Balaram. But Bala means strength, and he's talking about physical, I mean, spiritual strength rather than physical strength. So let's talk a little bit about strength. We can talk first about physical strength. What does physical strength mean to you? Any thoughts? So physical strength, he's saying it, he thinks of it as power and the ability to move things larger than you, um, physical or mental. Do you have another thought? Okay. So it's true. Physical strength can be, you know, how much can we lift? How much can we um, carry? But it can also just be our everyday activities. You know, having good physical strength can just mean having good health. Um, and if we look at what is health, you know, the, the official definition from the World Health Organization is a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. But I look at what does it mean to us in our everyday life. It means the ability to carry out whatever actions that we want to do, to have enough energy, to feel good, to um, have a balance of our mind you know, of our body and our spirit. Um, so it's having this optimal health that could be physical strength as well. So when we look at, you know, physical strength, we want to have the ability to use our body in whatever way we want to use it, you know, whether it's to carry, do our service, um, lift heavy things. So we want to stay in good, what we call like physical shape, have good physical strength. So how do we build physical strength? Any thoughts? Exercise? Anything else? So exercise is a great way to build physical strength, and that's generally what we think of, right? Weightlifting or bench pressing, like 100 pounds or, you know, deadlifts or push-ups and sit-ups and pull-ups and squats, things like that to help build our physical strength. And so certainly they do help build our muscles. So exercise is really important. And all types of exercise, right? Walking, 
yoga, right? Not just physical strength of building muscles, but we want the physical strength of flexibility, you know, to be able to sit, um, uh, you know, for Bhagavatam class. You know, that's, that is also part of our physical strength. Often, though, we sit too much. So we have to get up and remind ourselves to walk around a little bit, um, you know. So, but also helps build physical strength. So as I've mentioned before, I'm a big proponent of a type of medicine called lifestyle medicine. And it's um, looking at six major pillars that actually help keep, um, prevent, treat, and even reverse chronic diseases, but also help you feel good. So exercise is one of the pillars. Another is nutrition and focusing on eating lots of whole plants, whole food, um, fresh foods. And then sleep is another big important part of our physical strength, right? If we don't get enough sleep, you know, we can feel tired. We may not be able to do as much service. Um, Avoiding risky substance use like smoking and alcohol is also a big part of creating our physical strength. Managing our stress and having a sense of community. And I'll talk about those in a little bit. So in the Bhagavad Gita 616, Krishna says, there's no possibility of one's becoming a yogi if one eats too much or eats too little or sleeps too much or does not sleep enough. So we want to make sure that we're taking care of our physical body in order that we have the ability to perform our spiritual services and create our spiritual strength. And in um, Bhagavad Gita 17, 8 through 10, when we're discussing the modes, um, the different modes and the different things in the different modes, in the mode of goodness, the foods that are in the mode of goodness increase the duration of life, purify one's existence, give strength, health, happiness, and satisfaction, sweet, juicy, fattening, and palatable. So this is important when we're looking at, you know, eating foods that's actually going to help sustain our lives. So we want to make sure it's not, you know, too oily or too greasy or too spicy, too salty. We know that excessive salt in our foods can increase our blood pressure, which can cause heart issues, right? And then if we have any of these chronic conditions, they can affect how we perform any service, physical service, spiritual service. So we want to be regulated in, in Bhagavad Gita 6.17, it says, One who is regulated in their habits of eating, sleeping, recreation, and work can mitigate all material pains by practicing the yoga system. So everything in balance. right? So we don't want to spend hours and hours working out and building our, you know, a body and having like muscles. I mean, some people do that, and that's great. That might be part of who they are and what they want to do. But most of us just want to be fit. We just want to have enough energy, enough vitality, that we don't feel our body. I mean, if we're not feeling well, how well are we chanting our rounds? How well are we reading? You know, especially in this last year, we've really come to stress the importance of if we're not feeling well, we need to rest. We need to, you know, if you have a a cold, then you don't want to spread that to other people. So you're not even able to associate with other people when you're sick. Um, And there's so many things that show you know, how things that we can do to build our immune system, things that we can do to prevent chronic disease. And even once you have it, things that we can do to reverse it, you know, treat it and reverse it, that's different from medications. Now, medications sometimes are necessary. You know, we do need hospitals and such. 
But there's things that we can do every day, you know, build habits that we can do that help us stay healthy and have good physical strength. And then, you know, the other part of strength, and even we probably considered a little bit more part of physical strength, is mental strength. You know, there's a lot of studies that show what we eat can affect our mood. Um, they're showing increased depression and anxiety in people that have um, a diet that's high in fast food or a diet high in meat, um, a diet high in processed foods. You know, that's white flour, white sugar, things like that. Um, but people that eat a lot more fruits and vegetables, a lot more fresh food, foods that are in the mode of goodness, they tend to have less depression and anxiety. You know, and then um, if you're not sleeping well, you can be more irritable. It can make you a little bit more reactive to something or someone, you know, can help you feel more depressed. I know when I don't get enough sleep, I don't make great choices. You know, I don't, I may not make the best choices in terms of what to eat, what to do, what to say. I may not feel as good if I'm not getting enough sleep. Um, so it's important, you know, that we maintain, like it's, it's all compacted together. You can't really separate out, you know, and I'll bring it to spiritual strength too when we talk about that. So we want to keep our physical and mental strength intact. Exercise is also very important for our mental strength because it's also been shown to help um, feel good, to help stave off depression, anxiety. You know, they say like 30 minutes of getting your heart rate up, good vigorous activity five to six days a week is as strong as um, a regular strength dose of Prozac, which is an antidepressant. So exercise is also really important. And then, you know, if you're not feeling well, if your back is hurting or your stomach is hurting or, you know, again, how much are you participating in doing service? Um, you know, I remember one time my shoulder was a little sore, I think, from when I got the COVID vaccine. And I couldn't lift Gloria Nitai. You know, that's part of doing the service of dressing the deities is being able to lift the deities. Well, if you aren't able to do that, there are other people that can do it, but, um, you know, it's just, it, it relies on someone else. So, you know, to me, it's really important to maintain my physical and mental health so that my spiritual practices are that much stronger. And we have to act. We have to do something. I mean, if you sit there all day long doing nothing, you start to feel like a sense of restlessness in your body. You even may feel even more tired. You know, sometimes when um, I'm not scheduled to do anything and I may just sit around, you know, watching TV all day, like on a Sunday or something, I actually feel a lot more tired than if I, you know, had stuff to do during the day and I was up and walking around and doing other things. So <clears throat> it's really important. And even, you know, in Bhagavad Gita 3.5, it says, everyone is forced to act helplessly according to the qualities one has acquired from the modes of material nature. Therefore, no one can refrain from doing something, not even for a moment. And sometimes, you know, it's our thoughts that are racing. Sometimes our body is racing. Sometimes our heart feels like it's racing. So the body wants to move. I mean, the soul itself wants to move. It's active, you know, likes to do things. So we want to honor that. And then, and then we all are affected by the modes of nature. And there's exercises that some people will like and some people won't like. So I often get asked, you know, 
what exercise is the best? And it's the one that you will actually do is the best exercise. So, you know, if you'll actually go out for walks, that's the best exercise. If you'll actually put on some music and dance to kirtan, that's exercise. That's the best exercise, you know. So it's whatever that you like to do. It should be fun. Like, all of these activities are fun. You know, often when we talk about eating healthy, people are like, oh, that's just, it's just not as tasty. But actually, you develop a taste for it, and it becomes fun, and you find creative ways to make foods that are healthy and delicious. Um, and they may be versions of foods that you've enjoyed previously, but just without the excess oil, without the excess fat, you know, like um, processed fats and processed sugars and, you know, things like that. Like, I've really come to enjoy, um, like, whole wheat pasta or even brown rice pasta. And um, I eat brown rice a lot, like, I don't think I've eaten white rice in several years. I don't even like the taste of it anymore. Because brown rice is such a hearty, nutty, full flavor that white rice just doesn't have any taste to it to me. Um, So it's like you start to develop the taste for things that are good for you. So that helps. And so we use all of this to create our spiritual strength. right? So... The biggest, I would say, the biggest thing that we can do to flex our spiritual strength is to really understand that we are not the controller. We are not in charge of anything but our own actions and our own thoughts. I mean, actually, we're sometimes not even in charge of our own thoughts. It just comes, right? So we want to be a little bit more in control of our thoughts. We want to be in more control of our words, of our actions. But that's all that I can control. I can't control the weather. I can't control the traffic patterns. I can't control you. You know, I can't control what's happening in the Pujari room right now. I can't, you know, like I can only control what I'm doing right now at this moment, in any given moment. So understanding that and understanding that at the end of it all, Krishna is in charge of everything. God is in charge of everything. I think once we come to understand that, all the other parts of what we're learning in the Bhagavad Gita make a lot more sense. Right? When we understand that we're spirit soul, that Krishna is infinite, infinite spirit soul, like he's super soul, so, and he's the supreme controller, the proprietor. We don't own anything. We don't control anything. We have this body that we've been given, so we want to take care of it. That we, so that we can use it in Krishna's service. We want to um, serve Krishna in, our, in the way that, you know, according to our spiritual master and um, Shastra, and according to our skills and talents. Using all of those things together, we find a way that we can serve Krishna and serve others. Um, but that's all I can do. So, you know, I've also mentioned this, like I'm... Uh, I'm a physician, so often when I talk to patients, I can't force them to say, okay, you're going to take this medicine. I, I force you to take this medicine. I force you to eat like this. I force you. I can't do that. I can educate them, and I can work on educating in such a way that it makes sense for the other person. It motivates the other person. It inspires the other person, right, so that they make the changes, but I can't 
force them to make the changes. That's up to them, and ultimately it's up to Krishna how much how effective I can be. I can just do my duty, right? So in Bhagavad Gita 1330, Krishna says, one who can see that all activities are performed by the body, which is created of material nature, sees that the self does nothing, actually sees. So the soul itself is just sitting in the body as, you know, if you're kind of like watching a movie, right? So when we watch a movie, we see these characters playing these roles. Well, the soul, our soul, who we are is in the same way, watching us play out some roles, right? But because of our ego, we tend to think we're this body, and I'm the controller, and I want things to be a certain way, and so I'm going to force it to be this way. He goes on to say in 1332, those with the vision of eternity can see that the imperishable soul is transcendental, eternal, and beyond the modes of nature. Despite contact with the material body, the soul neither does anything nor is entangled. So this is saying that we're not this body, we're spirit soul. And that's part of the lesson of learning that we're not in control. We're also not this body. Right? So if you come up to me and you say something hurtful to me, I can understand that you're actually not saying it to me. You're saying it to the body for some action I may have performed without thinking, unintentionally, unmindfully. Um, so that's another part of when you're looking at you're not the, in control. It doesn't mean that you don't try to behave in such a way that's, pleasing, right? That's also, we've talked about before, I don't have it quoted here, but, you know, a Brahmana acts in such a way that doesn't disturb anyone, nor is he disturbed by anyone. So we want to act in such a way that we don't disturb other people. We want to be pleasing and say pleasing words. You know, we want to, if I were to try to say to someone, man, you're just an awful person, you know, you need to stop eating meat, you need to do this and that, eat more vegetables, exercise, then you might not, you know, have so many problems in your life. People aren't going to accept that. That's very harsh. It's not digestible. But if I talk to the person about what's important to them, if I find out, like, someone's really um, concerned about their physical health because, you know, they want to be able to um, keep up with their grandkids or keep up with their children, you know, be able to chase after them and not feel so tired, then we can work on, okay, so these are some of the things that you can do to not feel so tired. You know, which one of these are you willing to start, you know, to make a change in? That's a little bit more palatable. It's nicer. There's no judgment in there. It's just looking at what is and what we can do to improve that. So that's what I can learn, right? How do I speak to someone? How do I act towards someone? And we're all learning, so we, I may make some mistakes, but as I increase my spiritual strength, these qualities come out more. These qualities, such as intelligence, knowledge, freedom from doubt and delusion, forgiveness, truthfulness, control of the senses, control of the mind, happiness and distress, birth, death, fear, fearlessness, nonviolence, equanimity, satisfaction, austerity, Charity, fame, and infamy, these are all of the qualities of the living souls that we're, we're looking to have in our lives, right? 
And Krishna says in 10.4.5 that they're created by him. So he's creating these qualities, and we want to make sure that we um, embody these these qualities. So as looking at, you know, what is spiritual strength um, in most spiritual practices, and it's having really faith in God. And, part, you know, when you realize that you're not the controller, you're, you have faith that God is controlling things and he's going to look, for, look out for you. And when we do connect to God and we put our full faith in God and Krishna, we're able to do things that are beyond our own power. We're able to keep our composure when a stressful situation arises or we receive bad news. We're able to listen to those we love instead of just waiting to talk, right? It's called empathetic listening. And so many of us are guilty of that. When someone's talking to us, we're just like, oh, when can I talk? When is my turn? When can I share my story or say something that's related to them? Instead of just listening to what that person is saying. Be able to forgive those who have hurt us or someone we love. Be able to receive criticism without getting defensive. Be able to be patient and kind with people who are difficult. Be able to rise above temptation and sin and not be controlled by anger. So this is really similar to um, the lists that we have in our Bhagavad Gita of the qualities that we want. So I listed the ones from 10, 4, 5, but we have another one from Bhagavad Gita 13, 8 through 12. And he lists humility, pridelessness, nonviolence, tolerance, Simplicity, approaching a bona fide spiritual master, cleanliness, steadiness, self-control, renunciation of the objects of sense gratification, absence of false ego, the perception of the evil of birth, death, old age, and disease, detachment, freedom from entanglement with children, spouse, home, and the rest, even-mindedness amid pleasant and unpleasant events, constant and unalloyed devotion to Krishna, Aspiring to live in a solitary place, detachment from the general mass of people, accepting the importance of self-realization and philosophical search for the absolute truth. So these are the qualities that we're seeking to achieve. And they're not easy, right? Um, It's all, like, it's interrelated with, like I said before, when we're, not getting enough sleep, we, it's harder for us to tolerate others because we come become more easily irritable. If we're not getting enough sleep, it's easier for anger to overcome us. You know, if we're not eating well, um, you know, sometimes if you're not feeling well, like you're having trouble digesting food, again, you become irritable and you can become reactive. So how do we build our spiritual strength? Well, in the purport, you know, Prabhupada points out that Balaram is the original spiritual master. He is the source of our spiritual strength. So surrendering to our spiritual master, our spiritual teacher, is a way that we build our strength. And we start by having faith, right? We have faith that our spiritual master and Krishna will guide us to, you know, on our spiritual journey to find Krishna, to deepen our relationship with God. And then putting our faith in God that he's going to take care of everything. As long as I'm doing my duty, Krishna will do his part. 
And it's not like, oh, I do one step and Krishna does one step. I do a little bit and Krishna does like 10 times that much for us, right? So we just need to have a little bit of faith and Krishna will take care of the rest. We have to learn. We have to study. You know, we have to read the books. We have to discuss the books. Like, it's not just reading it. It's digesting it and understanding it and seeing how it relates into your everyday life. Um, And that can be from discussing it with other devotees, you know, associating, um, learning from others, you know, listening to Srimad Bhagavatam class. Um, We were very fortunate in these last few days that we had Mahatma Prabhu come and give classes, and his classes are very enlightening. They very much break down the scriptures and the philosophy into digestible components, that it's easier for us to take that and say, okay, how did, what does that mean for me, and how do I you know, take that into my life? And that's the last part of building our spiritual strength, is practicing. You know, we do it by practice. It's not theoretical. It's not this theoretical thing that we practice compassion and humility and pridelessness. It's, it's something that we try to do every single day. And sometimes it's a little artificial, you know, sometimes there's a fake it till you make it um, mentality. But at the end of it, we want it to be authentic. We want our authentic selves to emanate compassion and love and um, caring and non-judgment and, you know, having that humility to serve and um, be there for others, to listen you know, to care more about them on some level. You know, I say that, you know, we want to care and serve others, but we also have to make sure that we're caring and serving ourselves so that we can serve others. You know, as a physician, it's I've experienced that where, you know, I've, so to speak, burned the candles on both ends, barely getting enough sleep, you know, being there for patients, waking up in the middle of night. It has a toll. You know, it takes a toll. I towards the end of before I quit my job, I didn't feel compassion. It was really hard to feel that when you're not taking care, you're not compassionate with yourself and not taking care of yourself. You know, I didn't have the time to exercise, barely had time to, you know, have good mantra meditation, japa, you know. I did it, but I I would say it was more about quantity than quality at that time. And... Um, it was really hard to find time to exercise. You know, if you're getting there early, leaving late, you know, trying to make sure you have healthy meals, trying to make sure you've got at least some touch of spirituality, you know, entering into that. It's so hard. So I realized that you have to take care of your own self. You have to have that compassion and serve your own self that you can serve others. It's not that I serve and have compassion for myself so I can feel good and I can just, you know, sit around and be served. It's so that I can so show up for others. Um, because, again, you know, if I'm sick or if I'm hurting or if I'm not feeling good, I can't be there for others. So it's putting all of this into practice. And it really does come down to um, chanting, you know, with attentiveness, with mindfulness, with the idea that this is our time that we're spending with Krishna, that, you know, we're asking for so many things from him, 
because we lack so many things. You know, we lack all of these qualities that he describes for us. Um, let's see, fearlessness, purification of one's existence, charity, self-control, studying, austerity, simplicity, nonviolence, truthfulness. Like, we lack a lot of these things. So we are asking Krishna for, you know, to help, to give us the strength to um, cultivate these qualities in us and emanate these qualities from us. So if we're asking for all these things, he's asking for us to just spend a little time with him. And it's kind of a, it's not like separate. As you spend time with him, these qualities develop naturally. But we also have to be a little bit intentional about it. Um, Because, you know, I often say, I've been chanting like 26, 27 years now. Um, somewhere around there, you know, 16 rounds every day. Like I said, quantity sometimes above quality, but probably the last, you know, 10 years or so, really trying to increase the quality. And definitely the last three years since I quit, you know, being a physician, um, working on increasing that quality. So it's intentional, but yet, you know, I haven't really made the intention of practicing these qualities, of embodying these qualities. And they're not there. I don't feel that they're there. Um, sometimes I have to really think about things like truthfulness. Because sometimes you just go, someone says something to you, and you just say, yeah. And then later on you realize, wait, why did I say yeah? That wasn't even true. Like, I don't know if anyone else has had that experience, right? Or as um, sometimes your Sathvita Maharaj will point out, someone says to you, how are you doing? And you say, I'm fine. We may not be fine, but obviously we know that we don't want to be like, well, let me tell you, you know, like yesterday my car broke down. I mean, you know, most people don't want to hear that, Um, but there are ways to answer that. Maybe if you're not fine, you can just say, well, you know, I'm hanging in there. I'm struggling like all of us are. You know, sometimes I I, I remember um, it was just what Prabhu used to say. If you asked him how he's doing, he's like, oh, I'm suffering, I'm suffering. And he would say it with a smile. So you're like, oh, okay. But, I mean, you know, in some ways it's true. We're all sitting here in our material conditioning, and we think we have some little semblance of happiness, but mostly we have suffering. There's so much challenges, so many things that we have to deal with. I mean, even we read about the characters of Krishna's life. You know, it wasn't like it was so easy for them. Um, Maharaj Pariksha was killed in the womb and revived by Krishna and then cursed, and that's why we're getting the glories of the Srimad Bhagavatam because he realized he had seven days to live, and instead of, you know, trying to um, rebuke the curse or reverse it, he decides to go and learn about Krishna. Um, So we can see that everybody has challenges. Everybody has their... Um, troubles, you know, the suffering that they're going through, the pains that they have. So we can feel compassion for them, you know, whether they're our worst enemy or our best friend. You know, the idea is to have compassion and to not make that distinguish, distinguish, that difference between um, enemy and friend, right? Everyone is a friend. Some may be friends at a distance, a very distant, you know, because 
they could be troublesome or harmful, um, dangerous. So we may not want them in our immediate sphere of association, but we can still have compassion for them from afar. Um, so that's some of the things that we can put into practice. You know, one of the big things I always recommend is gratitude. Having a practice of gratitude. If you have a practice of gratitude, it's really easier, much easier to see that you're not the controller. It's much easier to have compassion, to feel love, to feel joy, to feel more connected to Krishna. If you're sitting here thinking every single day, you're counting your blessings and you're thanking Krishna for them. You know, like so often we focus on what we don't have or what we want or, you know, like I can sit here and go, oh my God, Krishna, I have no compassion. I have no humility. I'm not even chanting with any kind of, you know, but instead of that mood, I could also be in the mood of, Krishna, thank you so much for accepting me despite the fact that I don't have compassion. Thank you so much for loving me despite the fact that I don't chant with attention, right? So I focus more on what Krishna is doing and how he's showing up in my life. And if you start doing that, you'll see all the little ways that Krishna shows up for you, that he's actually there. You know, it's not some theoretical concept. Krishna is not just some, you know, marble statue in the temple. He's in our lives. He's sitting in our hearts as the super soul, and he's guiding our hearts. Um, there is, let me see if I can find the verse. In Bhagavad Gita 13.23, in this body there is another, a transcendental enjoyer, who is the Lord, the supreme proprietor, who exists as the overseer and permitter, who is known as the super soul. And in 1861, it says, the supreme Lord is situated in everyone's heart and is directing the wanderings of all living entities, who are seated as on a machine made of the material energy. So we can have this understanding that Krishna is 100% present in our lives and look at, at finding him. You know, uh, when I take like business and personal development classes, there's a saying that we have that what you focus on grows. You know, another example of that can be if you've ever looked or bought, or, you know, we're researching to buy a new car, and you're like, oh, I found this car, and, you know, nobody I know has this car. So, like, for me, it was like 10 years ago, I think. I was I had to find a car because my car was totaled in a hailstorm. And so I was looking at um, different cars, and then I looked at the Ford Fusion. And, you know, I found it. I liked it. I thought it was acceptable. So I bought a Ford Fusion. Prior to my buying that car, I don't think I'd ne- ever noticed a Ford Fusion on the road before. And after I saw, you know, started looking for cars and decided I was going to buy a Ford Fusion, all I saw on the road was Ford Fusions because all of a sudden it was in my focus. So it's the same thing. If we start looking for all the different blessings that Krishna has bestowed upon us, that's all we'll start to see. And so it's some small way that we can just, you know, do something immediately. Like you can do that right now when class is over you know, take five minutes or even even two minutes, you know, even one minute to just think of one or two or three things that Krishna has blessed you with. It doesn't take much, and it helps deepen our relationship with him. It helps deepen our spiritual strength. So 
I'll end there. What questions do you have for me? Thank you. Thank you. So she said that um, she enjoyed the concept of taking care of our physical body so that we can have um, stronger spiritual services and uh, being there for others. And that also she made the point that um, Krishna, you know, he observes and he doesn't interfere when he sees something bad or, or bad qualities. And But when he sees our good qualities, he helps boost those up. And that's a very good point because at the same time we have free will and we have our desires and our attachments. And Krishna is just waiting for us to exercise that free will to serve him, to turn towards him. You know, once we do, he's so happy. He's like, yes, here, take everything. I'll, I'll help you with that. But when we don't, he's, he still loves us. And he's still watching out for us. He's just letting us, you know, do, play out our desires. That's how much he cares for us, is that he's letting us play out our desires however we want. He tries to fulfill it with, you know, the material energy. So, you know, there's a verse that says, Krishna's um, friend to everyone, but those who are devoted to him are most dear. Right, so the whole chapter twelve is basically describing all of the qualities of those who are dear to him. So we can learn and try to emulate some of those qualities and you know, build it up even more. Right. Exactly. Right, so she makes the point that um, Krishna is also very compassionate as a compassionate father, and he gives us so many different ways to come to him. Right, so in the twelfth chapter, he says he describes all the things that these people are dear to me, and then he says, "But if you can't do this, then do this, and if you can't do that, then do this, and if you can't do that, at least do this." And it's actually the mercy of Krishna through Lord Chaitanya that we have this simple process of just chanting the holy names as a major um, source of sacrifice this lifetime, right, in this um, millennium, in this yuga. So we can understand how compassionate Krishna is as he sees our um, flaws and our shortcomings. And he says, okay, part of these shortcomings is based on your environment, so I'm going to make extra dispensation because I see that you're trying I see that your heart is really endeavoring to to deepen our relationship. So he does his part, you know. He, he does more than his part, right? So it's just, we just have to just um, put a little bit of faith in him, and he'll shower us with so much more. I'll end there. It's a little bit longer than I intended. I was trying to keep it short, even though the purport was really long. So... Dharantara Srimad Bhagavatam ki jai.